Howdy. If you haven't already, make sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at History and Film on Instagram and HIF Pod on Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at TrackNerds, and you can always email me at Simmons at TrackNerds.com. Enjoy the show. So it's interesting to think that Netflix, that now has over 300 original movies, that's all just been within the last five years, and its first ever original film was Beasts of No Nation in 2015. Yeah, and what a debut, man. Yeah, and... I almost wonder if its lack of any Oscar attention is because it was the first and they didn't yet know what to do with it. And there's still some hesitation in the Academy or some members of the Academy that don't want to think or don't think that Netflix movies should count. And so they get more nominations now, but they still struggle. I don't know. That doesn't really make sense to me because as long as they as long as they meet the criteria, they meet the criteria. So who cares if it's a Netflix movie? I agree. Where I think it's tricky is, so the criteria is basically just, you know, to have debuted in X number of theaters in like, I think it's even specifically like a theater in Los Angeles and maybe New York. And there's certain rules as far as that goes. And then so Netflix is just making sure they are putting it as a theatrical release, even though they're releasing it simultaneously online. But I think maybe some of the hesitancy is just it's just so new and not necessarily what was intended originally. And it was I think those those rules are more to get a, a movie eligible within a year, not that you were kind of circumventing a on or an online release, which didn't exist when these rules were written. And you also right. think of something like a HBO movie from 20 years ago. No one thought that it would have been eligible had they just released it in theaters because it didn't necessarily even cross HBO's mind to try to do something like that. I'm still, I still think it should count because it does count under the rules, to your point. But if you don't want it to count, then you need to change your rules. And if you don't change your rules, then you have to accept that it counts. Yeah, and, and I guess with the coronavirus pandemic, that that is pushing some people to, to try and get the, uh, the rules for the Academy actually changed. Because, I mean, movie theaters, obviously this year, at time of recording in 2020, have been closed and will be closed for the foreseeable future. And, and even even if there's, you know, a, a vaccine and, you know, all of us, you know, everything gets opened back up to the way it was before, I, I think that the pandemic and the shutdowns of, of basically the entire economy, I, I think it's going to have a ripple effect. I don't think that things like cruise lines and Disneyland and movie theaters are going to I mean, they'll still be a thing, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere near as popular or utilized as they were, as right. they it, have been. Right. It could take them years to rebound. And then obviously not just yeah. the theaters are the movie production. So everything's got to get opened back up. And then it takes right. months to then get a film back up and going to where. So, yeah, it's going to continue to be a mess. And, yeah, they could maybe kind of have to change the rules to allow for some of this online stuff as well. But anyway, back to the film here today, which does give us a all-too-depressing look at child soldiers in the world. And this film is not based on a specific civil war. And actually, even the book it's based on kind of goes out of its way to not be a specific conflict. It does seem to have its most parallels with the Sierra Leone Civil War, however. Yeah, it's, it's an unnamed 
kind of fictional West African right. country. Right. Um, we, we know, we know that it is in West Africa because we see at the beginning, we see the, um, Echo Mog. Echo Mog troops, which is the economic community of West African states monitoring group. Which seems to be essentially like a Western Africa UN, right? For all intents and purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's, the members are Ghana, Guinea, Sierra Leone, Gambia, Liberia, Mali, Burkina Faso, which we were in uh, recently with Bulad, um, and Niger. So those are the countries that make up uh, Ecomog. So we it's set somewhere in West Africa. Yes, but they but they don't they never mention a specific country, and they never mention like a specific leader or even really a specific year, which you can kind of. I mean, th- we're we're putting this movie in the timeline. I think kind of based on when the more book when came it, out, well, not when thing. it came yeah, out, yeah. but when the book came out. Because um, it, I mean, it's it could really be any any time from like I don't know, maybe 1990 like, to the present. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the even that, yeah, 80s, 90s, all the way up to I mean, the movie came out in 2016. But any time during there, it could have uh, been anywhere. And while this is something that's typically associated with Africa, child soldiers have been used all over the world and for centuries, frankly. I mean, you, I mean even like, yeah. even, you know, there was people, you hear stories about people being 15, 16, even the United States signing up for World War One and stuff like that. Yep. Or Napoleon has said using troops. Or, you know, obviously think back in ancient times, it wouldn't have been a thing. Or you think back to Braveheart with... You know, throwing a, yeah. a kid on there wouldn't have been a thing. But it's only been in the 21st century where there's been these concerted efforts and groups set up to try to actively put a stop to it. It is already, you know, it's against international law, but obviously it still happens because these people aren't afraid to break the law. And now in our story here specifically, it does serve as a great example of the lives of these kids and how they might fall into some of these crowds, even if it isn't dealing with a specific actual event. Absolutely. And our main kid is basically, they're just part of a village that they know the kind of war is coming through. It seems like there's kind of the official state-sponsored soldiers, and then there's the rebels, and the war is kind of just working their way toward their village. And they're just trying to hide. It's, it's this is really reminiscent of conflicts that we've seen before, like in Hotel Rwanda yes. in Lumumba. Yes. Um, but yeah, his, so his his village is it? They call it the buffer zone at the beginning of the oh, movie. Right. So it, it sounds like it's kind of a, a no man's land between the government troops and the the NDF or the the Native Defense Force. Which again, that's it's a fiction. That's a fictional group. Like there's no there's no NDF in real life. At least. If there is, it's not like this movie isn't about a specific group. But um, yeah, so those two groups are are in conflict and and his village is kind of smack in the middle of their two front lines. And then that's kind of the impetus for the conflict in the beginning of the movie. You see his normal everyday life. It's, It's almost like the way that the movie is at the beginning is almost just like your standard coming of age story. Right everything's you know everything's peaceful he's like messing around with his family messing around with his brother they're they're selling junk to the nigerian soldiers who are kind of peacekeepers in the area yeah yeah it shows them they they have their hustle where they where they uh they block the road with the big tree branch and then get people to pay him money to move it but then all of a sudden the the two fronts start to kind of close in on the town at the same time so that's when that's when the the conflict starts so his his dad 
is trying to get his whole family out, but you know there's only there's only so many vehicle only so many cars in the village, and he he pays some guy all of the money that he has, and and the only the guy will only agree to take his wife and his two youngest kids, and so Agu, who's the main character, who's um, I don't think it ever says how old he is, but he's probably about maybe twelve, ten, year ten to twelve, yeah, yeah, t- ten to twelve years old. Him and then his older brother, who's like a teenager, and his dad are all then left behind uh, in the town to get uh, killed. Basically, well, right? They try to they try to hide at first, just kind of hoping that the soldiers or the fighting will kind of just pass through the village. But they start yep. just kind of killing indiscriminately and looking, and then they when they find them, they they assume they're part of the rebels and. And yeah. then, of course, they get screwed by the local woman, yeah. Yeah, they, they which it was kind of a, you know, that was a, a good example of like a, you know, a Chekhov's gun where they show her mm-hmm. in the scene where they're blocking the road and she comes out and she's just standing in the middle of the road yelling at him because she's, you know, she's mentally ill, some sort of mental illness because she's, you know, just crazy, just yelling at him for no reason, basically. And then she's the one that they bring out to say, do you know any of these people? Because they're all saying they live here. And she says, I've never seen these people before in my life. They're all rebels. Uh, yep. And they straight up say, yep, we're going to kill you now. And then so they yep. just start to scatter. And Agu's the only one that gets away from his his yep. group. And after, oh, we don't know how long, I guess he's running around. You know, hours probably he's running around alone. And then finally runs into this rebel army. That at first, again, you know where the movie's going, but from his point of view, at first, okay, they're the people fighting the people that killed my family, so I guess they're the good guys, and right. they're gonna they're feeding me and they're training me and they're gonna help me get revenge. This 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 seems right. all right. And it's he 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 lost his entire family, and so he's he's literally on his own in the middle of the jungle, right? And he comes across this other group, and they're like, "Hey, your your family got killed by the by the government troops. We're fighting the government troops, and it's kind of like a, it's like a his new family, basically." Right. Which and again, this, and these are kind of just how a lot of this happens in real life, where it's people who are kind of orphaned, some some kind of just you know basically some volunteer for it, some kind of get captured into it, and some are kind of this mix in between where they just kind of stumble across it because they're desperate and have no other choice, and so. This it's very realistic that something like this would would play out this way, and yeah, yeah, they kind of just run through some basic initiation things. And again, at first, if you didn't know any better or about you know kind of what this was about, you would kind of think, okay, well, you know, this this could work, this could work. Maybe they'll help him find his mom or whatever. And it's like, nope, it's not that kind of show. And you just kind of slowly see how ruthless and evil they are. And the the first moment that really just made me cringe is when they ambush this patrol that they say is part of that same government force but the guy they the one guy in particular that they capture and make agu kill as like his first kill is just some college student engineer who's like out to help fix the bridges in the country and nope the commandant tells agu kill him and gives him a dull machete to do it and yep. you're just and they and they ugh. they like linger on it too like yes. it's it's not a fast uh, well it's the him killing the guy isn't a fast process but the agu it, it seems like it takes him forever to make that decision which which is it a, would I think it's a, right right he's right. just a normal but, kid but it's I'm sure also in that in that moment for someone to be in that position I'm sure your your perception of time is probably warped 
but yeah, man, that is that's a harrowing scene. And yeah, it's I, I had to kind of look away. It was bad. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't cut. It doesn't cut away. It, there's like nothing is hidden. It's in the daylight. It's like full screen right in front of you. Yeah, because the other yeah. kid Stryka is also there with him. Right, he kind of joins in. He's like he comes at yeah to help him out, I guess. But yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a there's several scenes like that in this movie. Not not I mean there are scenes as not far as heroin goes of the yeah. violence, but also just yeah just you know the the unblinking you know where you it's super uncomfortable to to watch. Oh right, when Idris Elba's character basically rapes Agu at one point. Or, yep. or not basically, he does, but it's just kind of, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not explicit, it's kind of implied, but it's obviously yeah. heavily implied. And I really enjoyed the character of Stryka, his mm-hmm. his buddy about his age who appears to be mute. I kind of assumed at some point that he was gonna, they were going to show that he had no tongue or something, but they never really did show why he was mute, did they? No, and, and I don't know if, if it was like he's he was mute or if he's just, I read it more as he was just so psychologically damaged that he just didn't speak anymore oh no right and even if he wasn't physically mute he was uh, he was mute right yeah because he is he's agu's age but he he's been there way longer right. than Agu. so right. he's probably been in that army since he was like eight or nine years old right and yeah just an interesting character because he kind of does kind of there's almost like a rivalry at first with them but they become kind of fast friends and grow to trust each other even though strike right. never talks yeah and like he's he's at when Agu is is molested by the commandant, Stryka is the one who like comforts him and you know tries his best to comfort him anyway. Right, just gives him gives him a shoulder to lean on. You yeah. can assume that he's going through the exact same thing, and that's the implication that it's yep, I've done yeah. it too. You're right, that's that's heavily implied as well. And just yeah, just kind of it becomes this kind of cult of personality built around the commandant character played by Idris Elba, and you kind of right. see how they're all just kind of loyal to him and, and again it's it's almost like a peter pan thing with the lost boys and this is just all we have yeah. is each other and this little party that yeah. goes goes around and we're looking for the battle but for for reasons like it, we don't even know yeah. what their goal is necessarily and idris elba's character he is very charismatic right reminds you of like an Idi Amin type yeah at the at the beginning of the movie he's almost likable Exactly. When you exactly. first when you first meet him before before obviously you find out all of the you know child rape stuff later on, but when Agu first meets him, he, he's almost like a, he's a he's a charismatic, likable father figure. Basically, right? Yep. Yep. Who says we're going to help you get revenge and we're going to train you and take care of you and it, yeah. But again, he's just kind of recruiting them into his cult is what he's doing, and right. um, and that actually ties into something. That I saw. This is actually an article I found on ChildSoldiers.org where they interviewed just kind of an expert in this stuff. I forget what country he was from, but okay, he's a Canadian senator who has worked with the UN and just trying to help stop genocide and, and has written a lot about child soldiers. So they kind of asked him what he thought of this movie, and he basically said. It, it's solid, it's compelling, it's a good film, but he, he said it's also just super simplified, which, again, kind of obvious that it would be simplified, but uh, the quote here near the end of the article talks about, he says, I think the film could have done more to show the indoctrination of the children in the psychological battles. Uh, it needs to be more nuanced than just African kids with AK-47s. 
Yeah. Which I think is valid. I, although I do think there is, there is, I think it gives some service to that indoctrination and the psychological stuff. But he, I think his mm-hmm. point is like, that's the bulk of it. If you think about how much time they're spending with these groups, it's going to be predominantly the psychological stuff and the, the yeah. battles and the, and the guns is probably actually going to be secondary, which does make sense. Okay. So yeah, then in, in the film, so again, they kind of hope that we're going to end up seeing Agu's mom because they're kind of making progress toward taro and then maybe try to get to the capital and mm-hmm. we, they do run across a woman at one point and i was actually kind of confused by this did, did they do an actor switch to because it was kind of illustrate what we were seeing through his eyes because i thought it was his mom no, at it, first but no it, it was just it was just someone else okay at I, least I, okay. I i didn't i didn't i didn't think it was an actor switch i thought it was just him mistaking some because they they are invading this town and this is actually one of it's another one of those scenes that's really hard to watch, but I did think that it was a a very effective use of a long sh- like a long take because they they invade this town and it's a single take. It's like several minutes long. I don't know how long exactly it is, but it's it's probably about five minutes or so of them, you know, going through this building and, and like looking through all the rooms, and then they come across this woman who has two kids, and Agu is basically so psychologically broken that he thinks that it's his mom and like runs over and like grabs onto her and is like hugging her. He's like telling her, you know, I've been looking for you. I've, you know, I've been trying to find you for so long. And then basically realizes that it's not his mom and then gets upset, gets angry. Right. Calls her a witch for tricking him. Yeah. Calls, calls her a witch says that she's trying to trick him. Strika is then he is beating one of the little kids, like a two year old in the other room. So he goes into the other room, and and this is all one take. There's no cuts. I didn't even notice that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all one take. No cuts. It's it's like unblinking. It makes you feel. I, I don't. It, it makes you feel like you're there, and that you you know you can't leave and you can't look away. Mm. And uh, because the camera isn't the the right. entire the entire scene, so he goes and he's like kicking the little girl in the other room. Then he comes back into the first room, and there's a voiceover in his head, and I forget what he says, but he's basically like talking to God in his head. Oh, right. And then goes back into the first room where the woman is being raped and he shoots her. And then that's when it, that's when it cuts. But I think that was like, that scene is like the peak of the, of the horror, I guess. Right. Cause then after, after that point, it kind of slows down on the, on the violence and the war stuff. I mean, there is more throughout the, the rest of the movie, but it's, that's like the, the very, the, the peak is right. when they get to that town. Because that's also the town where they, like, they tape the grenades in the guy's mouths. Right. It's, 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 we're getting close to the point where August starts to start second-guessing everything. Which, well, honestly, yeah. I guess, honestly, after he gets molested, it's probably the first time he starts second-guessing things. But he's still committing right. atrocities after that. And yeah. so they get to where the overall general is. Idris Elba's mm-hmm. character is actually just kind of in charge of this one battalion, but they're still right. answering to you know the higher up guy who's kind of responsible of all the all the all of them. And I'm kind of accused exactly what he his his goal is here. Was there why was he wanting to replace Idris Elba? Basically, he's trying to put his number two in command and says he's promoting Idris Elba to another position, but Idris sees it as a demotion Idris wanted to be he wanted to to be in charge of more troops whereas the guy that i forget what they call him uh the supreme commander right um the supreme commander puts him in like a staff position for him working directly for the supreme commander 
So the Supreme Commander sees that as a promotion. Okay. But Idris Elba sees it as a demotion because he's not leading troops into battle anymore. Gotcha. And his second-in-command, they call him 2IC, is given command of the battalion. Right. And, yeah, and, then, and basically he then, you know, a couple scenes later, it's basically Idris is mutinying against him, basically, you know, kills 2IC or causes him to be killed and leaves mm-hmm. with his group. And basically says, well, the Supreme Commander is now our enemy, so we're on our own, but we still got our group here, and that's what matters. But then it doesn't take long before now they don't have any resources because they're not getting any other support. And there's basically a mutiny where they all just leave and surrender. And Agu seems like he might... Well, a couple things. One, he seems like he might be the only one that stays behind with the Commandant. It seems like he might be the one to actually kill the Commandant. And then ultimately, they just kind of all walk away, which I thought was probably the best way to handle it. Right. And then they surrender to like the Nigerian UN troops. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I, I'm pretty sure that they because the way the way they played it, I'm pretty I'm almost certain that one of the guys there that they see recognizes Agu from buying that TV from him at the very beginning. Just like the way they kind of yeah. locked eyes for a second, and they don't. But I appreciate the way they didn't necessarily dwell on it. Like it was there. But we're not making it a thing because right. it's too chaotic. And that's how real life would work where it's like, was that the person? Right. Maybe it wasn't. And and then we kind of see him dealing with some of, you know, uh, the equivalent of a social worker or whatever. And Right. Because he, he's like in a missionary, like a missionary run school. Yeah. And, the, and it's, that, that too, I think, was really interesting because it shows just how psychologically broken and indoctrinated some of the other kids are because he's there with like three other kids. And two of them end up leaving. They say, "Hey, this like this missionary school isn't for us. We want to go back to the war." Oh, right. right. They they run away from the school to go back and join the NDF. And Agu and the and his his friend that he makes at the school are like they're trying to convince them not to. Like we have right food we and have shelter food here. We have clothes here. Right. We're, we have shelter. We're learning. They're teaching us stuff. Why would you? And they say, well, you know, this we we have to go back and and fight the war. It's it's more important. And then they they run away from from the school because they've been so brainwashed that that's what. So yep. yes, they didn't mind getting away from the commandant, Idris Elba's character, but they still felt that the war itself was important and they needed to go back to continue it. Yeah. So the the book I've never read, but I've been aware of it for a long time, and I probably should get around to reading it is a long way gone so unlike beasts of no nation which is kind of a fictionalized account that kind of just encapsulates actual events a long way gone is actually a memoir by ishmael bia who was himself a child soldier in sierra leone and so i've heard it's great i'm 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 probably gonna rec i'd say i'd recommend it just based on its reputation and I, but i myself have not gotten around to reading it are, are you are you familiar with a long way gone and ishmael bia and no no, I'm okay. not. I wish there was a book site review that was kind of as reliable as, you know, a Rotten Tomatoes or even an IMDb, but I, I haven't had a lot of luck with with those. I guess I could check it on Goodreads, but it seems like everything seems to be pretty high. Books are seem to be in a much smaller window. They're all rated about a 3.5 to a 4.5 out of 5 on Goodreads, so it's hard to find a lot of wiggle room in, in ratings on, on stuff like that. Another note here, though, too, on that same childsoldier.org article, uh, a woman who's a director for a group called War Child pointed out too. So this is something that the film doesn't have. Actually, her quote even mentions that. So 40% of child soldiers are girls and few films portray that is her, is her quote. Huh. 
Well, because we don't see we don't see any in this movie. We don't see a single one, right? Right. right. Well, they, they, yeah, they, and, they, they, they have they some prostitutes they kind of kidnap at the end is about it. Yeah, but and you know now that you, I guess now that you bring that up, it, it makes sense because a kid is a kid, and right. like like Idris Elba says in the movie, just a kid. What do you mean, just a kid? A kid has two eyes they can see with, and they got a finger that can pull the trigger. Right. Uh, that all applies to a girl as well. Right. The fact that they had only boys is kind of inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it would make sense that girls are the same way, and, and I guess that's true because you know you think of other movies like uh, like in Hotel Rwanda or in Blood Diamond or any other movie where you see child soldiers that they are typically all boys right and yeah so yeah 40 percent are girls and then often though that they have they can basically play double duty because then often they become sex slaves even if they're combatants at the same time so they kind of become right both yeah well just like agu did in the movie that correct, also correct. is not is not necessarily gender uh gender specific either right um i did want to bring up about the movie specifically oh, yes. yeah, yeah. so the director of this movie carrie fukunaga who I don't know if I'd seen any of his other movies, but I did really like the first season of uh, True Detective that he directed. Yeah, I saw that. Which I I really, really liked. I Yeah, I haven't seen Seen Nombre, and I have not seen Jane Eyre, which are his other two movies. Uh, nor have I. But uh, he's very talented, at least based on this movie, at composing really cool-looking shots. Like uh, yes. like the shot at the beginning of the movie with the empty TV, um, the empty TV box, where it's like it's a shot of kids playing soccer, and then it zooms out, and it's like it looks like they're on TV, but then it zooms out further, and it's just a broken, empty TV box yeah, that two kids yeah. are leaning against watching the soccer game. I thought that was really cool. Augu walking through the red clay water trench looking thing was just kind of popped yeah um i already mentioned the the, that long shot uh the long take where he's going through the building and then the other one that i was my i thought was the coolest looking scene in the movie was the first time that agu is on the drug brown brown which it's in the story it's right after he gets molested and he's like you know very distraught he's kind of out of it mentally and one of the older boys tells him that he'll be better if he takes some brown brown, um, which is a it's a real drug. It's a mixture of cocaine or some sort of amphetamine, and they mix it with smokeless gunpowder. So basically you pull the projectile off of a bullet and mix the powder on the inside of the bullet with with an amphetamine or with cocaine. Um, and because the, the nitroglycerin in the gunpowder is a vasodilator. Yeah, it's 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 a real it's a real drug, and it is popular in these you know among these groups in uh, in West African conflicts. It's also if you've ever seen the movie Lord of War with Nicolas Cage, where he's like the arms dealer. I have not. Okay, in in that movie, there's a scene where he where he does brown brown. Anyway, when Agu is on that drug. They're like getting ready to march into battle, and as they're marching in, he like looks to the side and sees these like tribal warriors walking alongside of him, and then all of a sudden the whole screen gets color corrected to yeah. where all the greens are red. Right. So like all the trees look red, and it's like this really surreal, wild looking scene because the whole thing is like through the eyes of Agu while he's on this drug, and it looks like, and I don't know if you're a very a uh, very big video game guy. But it looks like something out of a Far Cry video game. Okay, which I'm not familiar with, but okay. But I just thought that that was a really cool... Because it, 
it's not super gimmicky. Like, it's not like they have a bunch of scenes. Like, it's just like for this one short scene, it's like maybe two or three minutes long where they use this cool color correction yes. um, and cool, like, sound design to, to show what it's like through Agu's perspective when he's on this drug. Okay, just a quick clarification. So, is the brown brown both the thing we see him and Idris Elba freebasing and the thing they, like, cut and put in his wound? Yeah, it's the thing that they cut and put in his wound, and I think it is the thing they're freebasing, because it's also, it can also refer to heroin, because heroin is a kind of a light brown color as well. Okay, okay, yeah, so I thought it was interesting, so obviously we've seen freebasing in other movies, but the idea of basically applying a drug as a powder into a wound it's just, yeah. it's just honestly just a way of taking a drug that never even occurred to me or that I had never seen before. Right. Well, it's it's the, it's similar to um, it's similar to like when you dip like tobacco. Okay. You know the the drug is getting into your bloodstream through right, right. through your skin. Um, it's, but you're not cutting your lip before you put it in there. No, no but with <laughs> the with the cut and rubbing it in, it's it's essentially it's just a, a similar faster, more efficient right. way of doing that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I I had just never seen that before and thought that was interesting and obviously disturbing all at the same time yeah i was just going to briefly mention a little bit of sierra leone just because it kind of does tie in and is all but certainly what they were most kind of uh, basing this off of even if not you know 100 percent directly they were trying to keep it more open so we actually were in sierra leone when i talked about amistad that those captured men were from sierra leone and got you know someone got and then ultimately got returned to sierra leone so the Sierra Leone Civil War was 1991 to 2002. Basically, it was just initiated by, you know, a military coup. It, it's, it, it's a lot of the standard, almost at this point, stereotypical African conflict coup warlord type stuff. So, yeah, it was an 11-year-long conflict that ultimately, with the help of the UN and the ECOMOG with Nigeria and everybody, they were just kind of able to finally put down the 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 rebel but it was complicated too where it's like you know there's there's the one rebel group and then part of the army that helps overthrow that rebel group kind of then takes power itself and joins with that initial rebel group before again then like a decade later you finally have the un putting everything down and then it's just a country that's had a lot of other issues with the ebola epidemic uh about five six years ago really hit sierra leone hard and then in 2017 they had mudslides and just kind of a country that's seen a lot of strife over the decades unfortunately but it does say today they're a constitutional republic with a directly elected president and legislature so that's that's nice as long as everything's on the up and up seems yeah seems seems pretty modern then would just kind of a cursory glance at how things are today so i don't know don't imagine they're particularly strong economically but at least it does now have a stable government in place with uh democratically elected leaders yeah mostly an agriculture-based economy two-thirds of the population you know deals with subsistence agriculture within the community uh mining is big we do see a gold mine in the movie that's like the the spot where they're true right hanging yeah. out for i think they're there right. for, I, in the movie i think they say that they're there for a couple months right before they they actually desert the commandant I almost think they didn't use Sierra Leone specifically in the in the movie and the book it was based on just so they weren't tied to anything. It was keeping it yeah. more broad, but it was, I mean, it seems pretty certain it was heavily inspired by Sierra Leone's conflict specifically. But again, so yeah, child soldiers we already talked about are seen all over the world, even, even today, you know, Southeast Asia, South America, ISIS would recruit child soldiers. And so it's just... 
It is still a problem all over the world and will probably continue to be so for the foreseeable future. It's just it's just too hard to control and police when you're dealing with criminal organizations, essentially. Okay, so next week we'll be dealing with a story that, while set in the United States, did have worldwide ramifications with the 2008 financial collapse in the big short. <laughs>